0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv. Welcome to the Tuesday edition. We're glad you're able to join us today. And uh, we have a very exciting program that will kick off here in a minute. If you're coming in on the Zoom app, just uh, please send us in your questions. You can text them in using the QA button, or you can call them in using raising your hand and say you want to come in on audio. And you can also then uh, submit your text questions or comments on uh, the Facebook page that we're sharing off of Stephen's Facebook page. Uh, keep in mind, I've said this in the past, I'll say it again, all of you watching and coming in on the Facebook page, there is about a 15-18 second delay, so you will you may see a little delay in our reactions to your questions there. Uh, with that out of the way, Stephen, speaking of you, how are you doing? Good to see you here today.
1: Doing well, Drew. How are you doing?
0: Doing very well, thank you. I'm looking for some sunshine, but I don't think we're going to see much in a while here. And uh, where about, Scott, you're there too, right, Scott?
2: Yes, I am. And we got sunshine in the forecast for tomorrow.
0: Oh, perfect. Oh, I'm glad it's tomorrow. We also have, I was going to say Jonathan, but usually I do you last, John, but I'm sorry. Sorry, Jonathan, you are our webcast engineer. am glad you're here.
1: Yeah, it's good to be here with
0: you guys. And you know what, Scott? I've been neglecting you. You're our program director, and I've been forgetting to mention that. Welcome to our program director, Scott. Good to be here. And also we have Jeff. Jeff down in Exton. Good to see you. I think you're here. I don't see your video, though. Jeff, are you here?
2: I see a picture of Jeff and Libby and a thing that says his mic is off.
0: Okay. So let's see if you can come back in. Hi. Okay, there you are. Hi, Jeff.
3: (laughs) Sorry about that. I'm here.
0: Good to have you, too. Now, we're going to be talking about a question that came in from someone, um, and actually, this question started in the first century. Uh, Christians were being asked to continue observing the Jewish feasts and uh, celebrations and holidays and worship. And so the question is, aren't we also, as Christians, supposed to be honoring these feasts and and celebrations and worship? And so I'll turn that over to you guys. Which one are you guys going to start off with this?
2: Well, and the question submitted, I believe, had to do especially with uh, someone who felt that, A, Christians should uh, observe the Sabbath today, that the Lord's Day is Saturday, the Sabbath, and that uh, Christians today should celebrate the Jewish feasts and festivals, if I understand correctly. Stephen?
1: Yeah, and and I think the understanding is this person is a believer in Christ. They're not a, a Jew, but they have the idea that there are still some laws that are binding for all time, that uh, there are some things that God told to Moses and the people of Israel that we're still supposed to observe. And so that's kind of the question we want to ask is that did the Christians in the first century ever deal with that? What was, what was the answer on that? So there's a lot of places we can go with that.
2: And we'll, we'll start in just a minute with looking at the fact is Drew you've already mentioned that this was really one of the hot topics in the first century. Uh, It's the issue behind some major chapters, some whole books. Uh, And so we'll be looking at that in a moment, but we might just observe real quickly and simply, are there some things that God said in the old Testament and they're still wrong? Oh, absolutely.
0: Uh, Yeah.
3: uh, you, You know, God's basic character hasn't changed and God's, Uh, expectations of a man who's going to be like him, therefore can't change. However, what can change is the means whereby God teaches these principles to man. And one of the things about the Old Testament is he's teaching some very fundamental concepts that are true for all eternity, sometimes in very specific, uh, you could almost say object lesson ways. And so you have a lot of things in the Old Testament that aren't, The actual principle itself, but they they represent the principle. Just take the basic idea of sacrificing an animal. God's expectation that we give ourselves for sacrifice to God, God's expectation or God's instruction that there has to be a life given to atone for sin, those are fundamental principles. But how God communicated those in the Old Testament was he had to make animal sacrifices. Right. So
1: So the idea is not necessarily to say, oh, well, God just doesn't, he just decided he doesn't want sacrifices anymore. But no, he, in Christ, of course, provided the perfect and ultimate sacrifice that God still wants a sacrifice, but it's been offered in Jesus. And then also the principle of sacrifice and of us offering a sacrifice is still something that we do. Romans 12 talks about our bodies being a living sacrifice. Hebrews 13 talks about us offering up a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips to God. And so looking at this as a broader principle, there is this idea of Mm -hmm. shadows and fulfillment. And the Old Testament has the shadows, and sometimes those were outward physical things. And in the New Testament, you have the inward spiritual and really greater fulfillment of those things.
2: Yeah, and and Hebrews uh, talks a lot about that the new covenant is the better covenant, and there are some changes. There's a change in the priesthood. Instead of a long sequence of Levite uh, priests from the tribe of Levi uh, who die and have their own sins to deal with, uh, that's changed. We have a different type of high priest
3: now. But but even there, there, Scott— there's a concept there that is timeless, and that is that man needs an intercessor. We we need right. to have access to God. We need somebody to stand uh, for us and in between us. And, and, of course, Jesus Christ is the ultimate realization of that. Right, but And have that foreshadowed in the Old Testament with various arrangements of priests.
1: Right. And the, so the fundamental question becomes, do we still need an outward physical priest? Do we still need... Uh, you know, to go back and keep the feast days and uh, the laws of the Old Covenant. Um, so what have, what does the New Testament say about this? How, how did this discussion go in the first century?
2: Let's look at Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 gives us a live action shot. Uh, not that he's writing it as it's happened, but as he writes the history of these first 30 years of the church, this is where he gets to this event. So we get to see some men here in action that we're going to find either the same individuals or individuals like them referred to again and again in the New Testament. So Acts chapter 15, uh, the scene is the church at Antioch in Syria. And before we get into chapter 15, somebody give, give us some information. What was the composition like of this church up in Antioch of Syria? How did it differ, say, from
3: the church in Jerusalem? Well, there were a lot of Gentiles who were becoming Christians up there in Antioch of Syria, whereas in Jerusalem it was almost all Jews. Right, Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: and and I think it's helpful if we will remember how Jewish the early Church was. On the day of Pentecost, it started in Jerusalem, and the three thousand were all Jewish or proselytes—that is, somebody that had already converted to Judaism—and so they are Jews. And they are still doing things in Jewish ways. Uh, one way I think helps to illustrate how Jewish the early church was and what their mindset would have been like would be to pose this question to, to our audience. Uh, if you're if you are a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, let me ask you, um, come Resurrection Day, do you plan on stop being a Christian? No! no. no, Why could anybody ever think that? Well, Jews didn't think, oh, when the Messiah comes, we won't be Jews anymore. No! They were Jews, and after the Messiah comes, they would still be Jews. And so we have a Jewish group of people, and they're still doing Jewish things, but they recognize their Messiah has come.
1: There would have been some kind of changed understanding, right? That, uh, you know, we've been practicing these things for hundreds of years, but now the greater fulfillment has come. And even if the Jews in the first century continued to do some of those things because they're Jews, they would understand them in a different light. That, well, there's still these sacrifices physically being offered, but our greater sacrifice has come.
3: And
2: early on, it's not so much that they're replacing um, acts of the gospel with and, and removing their ways of Judaism. It's more they're still Jews and they're eating a Jewish diet and, and following various Jewish laws. And now they're doing things of the new covenant
1: under Christ. What about course, the Gentiles? Did they, did they have to do that?
2: Right. So in Acts 10, we're not going to take time to read Acts 10 right now in 11, but we'll just mention it and then get into 15. Everything's been sailing along until Acts chapter 10, when Peter was sent to Cornelius. And of course, you remember the vision being let down and all and the spirit saying, go, you don't doubt. And sign after sign after sign from God telling Peter, you go to this guy. And Peter, when he got there, he said, you know how I'm a Jew. I'm not to go into a house of a Gentile, but God told me that I'm supposed to be there. And then he baptizes them and they get back to Jerusalem. And in Acts 11, some people in Jerusalem were upset because they said, you went, this is Acts 11, three, you went into men uncircumcised and you ate with them. And then how does Peter respond?
3: Well, he, he, he goes back and he relates the events that had happened in Acts chapter 10, whereby God had signified that Gentiles were to be included as recipients of the gospel.
2: Yeah. And, so, go ahead. Uh, sorry, go ahead. You go ahead. Well, well,
0: just, let he, me interrupt there. Are you saying this would have been a shock to them?
2: It was definitely a shock. <laughs> and uh, I, I find it interesting how Peter says at the end, Peter's not saying, I've been thinking about this, and I think this is a great thing. He says, who is I, I that I could withstand God?
0: <laughs> <In other> words, <laughs> this isn't necessarily
2: something Peter was real crazy about. But, so of course, he wanted those souls saved, and he realized, wow, that's what God said. Who am I to argue?
3: Yeah, Peter didn't go to Caesarea thinking, okay, I'm going to find a way to get Gentiles in here. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: and Peter, was, Peter was as says, surprised as anybody else at what God revealed.
2: The text says in Acts 11:18, 18, when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God and, and said, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance. The rest of chapter 11 starts talking about the founding of the church in Antioch of Syria. All, all these Gentiles were coming to the Lord. And Barnabas up there working with him. So and later he gets of Tarsus up there. So you got all these Gentiles up there in Antioch, but back here in Jerusalem, if you're one of the members of the church in Jerusalem, you're a Jew. The the guy sitting next to you is a Jew. You know, the guy on your right, on your left in front of you and behind you, they're all Jews. And so how many people uh, of the males are circumcised?
1: 100%.
2: How many of Mutant Bacon. Zero. Zero They're all Jews. Now, Some of these guys go up to Antioch, and this is where it starts to get interesting. Somebody start taking us into this in Acts chapter 15.
1: Acts 15, starting in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be circumcised. Saved. <laughs> so that's kind of the, the, bo- the bottom line here is you see these Jewish people coming up to Antioch where there are Jews and Gentiles and saying specifically to the Gentiles because the Jews had have already been circumcised, and keeping these things, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Sure. So this is a, an important question. Uh, yeah. Do Gentiles have to start doing Jewish things in order to please God and be saved?
2: And these fellows are insisting, yeah, it's kind of like you can't get in on our Jewish Messiah until you're Jewish. You can't have salvation from the Messiah until you're submissive to the law of Moses. Uh, You've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep the law of Moses. How how does Paul respond?
3: Well, first of all, um, Peter speaks up and he talks about. I'm sorry, back up in verse two. And then we'll get to that. Oh, oh I'm sorry. i would gotten ahead of us. <laughs> there was a big
0: discussion, a big debate going on now over this. No
1: small dissension.
0: Yeah.
2: So they're insisting you, you people aren't saved. You've got to get certain sides to keep the law. Of course, Paul Barnum is saying no. And they represent, they're from Judea. They're from the letter that'll later be written said, certain men went out from us and troubled you and we did not tell them to do this. The language of that letter in the disclaimer, of the letter that'll later be written by James, the elders of the apostles, etc. Mm-hmm. What does that tell us about how these Judaizers came across and maybe how they presented themselves?
1: It sounds like they, they kind of had a chip on their shoulder. Hey, we're from Jerusalem yep. and uh, we're with the apostles are down there and you know, they uh, kind of came in trying to flaunt that maybe as a source of authority.
2: We know the real apostles were from home base. This is what you got to do. So the, the people send Paul and Barnabas down there to talk about it. Well, as they go um, in Phoenicia and Samaria, as Paul is telling the people about the conversion of the Gentiles, what's the reaction up there among brethren?
0: Oh, was a lot of great joy.
2: Yeah. Then in verse four, they come in verse uh, and they start talking about, what's been done among the Gentiles who stands up and what do they say in verse 5
3: well it's a sect of the Pharisees who believe so these are the especially most conservative of the Jews uh, but they are Jews who've become believers they're disciples of Jesus Christ but they stood up and said well these people you're converting these Gentiles it's needful to circumcise them and charge them to keep the law of Moses
2: okay so this is not Pharisees that are, are, you know, persecuting Christians. No. Well, actually, in a way they are, but they're, they're not persecuting other believers in Christ in Jerusalem. They're members of the Jerusalem church. Yeah. But they're still Pharisees, and their mindset is, no, those guys can't be saved. Two things they have to do. What do they have to do?
0: Number one, circumcised, and then secondly, uh, they have to observe the whole law.
2: Yeah, and is that going to include the Sabbath? Sure. The, the, the new They movement. think
3: so. They think
2: so. Uh, yeah. The feast days, etc. All right. So Peter gets up in verse 7, and what does Peter say?
1: He ends up re- recounting basically everything that happened in Acts chapter 10 and talking about the conversion of Cornelius and saying God gave me all these different signs and confirmations and his conclusion in verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will, Yeah, Um, is that God showed these signs to people who had not been circumcised. They were not keeping the law of Moses, but God showed that they were acceptable to him. And so that's the way we need to proceed.
2: Yeah, Peter's saying basically this has already been settled. God already established this, Back in Caesarea Cornelius, he's already made this clear. But the practicality, it's one thing when you're among the thousands in Jerusalem and everybody's Jewish, but then when you get to another place and you see people that think they have Jesus and they're uncircumcised and eating bacon and and working on a Saturday, oh, they can't stand it. Uh, So Peter reminds him, God's already spoken on this. Who gets up next?
1: Barnabas and Paul. And what do they say? They recount all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. And so the implication is if God is, by the Spirit, doing these wonderful signs and miracles through Paul and Barnabas while they're ministering to Gentiles and not telling the Gentiles to keep the law of Moses, that's an approval of the gospel that Paul and Barnabas are preaching.
2: So then in verse 14, who's the uh, next party that gets up, and what's his point?
3: Well, James gets up in verse 14, and he says, basically, the Old Testament prophecy agrees with this, that God intended for Gentiles to be included, and he goes so far as then to say to draw the conclusion, we need to write a letter to these people saying that they're not obligated to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses, and we didn't send the guys who went up there and said you were. Right. Wow,
0: so, so really, then Peter explains what he experienced and, and the vision he had, and then James is also then saying, yeah, and this is also in harmony with what the law itself says right. too, the old covenant.
2: Right. Uh, and in between, Paul and Barnabas talking about the miracles that God did that endorsed the work among the Gentiles. So they write the letter, and in it it said, "The apostles and elders, brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia." For as much as we've heard that certain who went out from us have troubled you with words, mm-hmm. diverting your souls to whom we gave no commandment. It seemed good to us. I'm in verse 25 now of Acts 15. Having come to one accord to choose out men and send them unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth for it seemed good to the Holy spirit And to us, to lay upon you no greater burden than these things. Abstain from things sacrificed to idols, and from blood, from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves, it shall be well with you. Very well. Now, we'll mention here the things that it does say there to do, uh, but, or to abstain from, but what does this say about the argument that they have to circumcise their children and keep the laws of
0: Moses? It's not even mentioned there. That, that the Holy Spirit confirmed everything, and they all recognized. But that's not even included in that list.
2: Yeah, it, it's you ignore these fellows that claim that went out from us and troubled you. They don't. They're not telling you the truth. You don't need to worry about what they're saying. Now there are some things. You need to watch out for things that were typical Gentile behavior that were wrong under the old covenant and are wrong under the new covenant, such as
0: things sacrificed to idols, eating of blood fornication.
2: Yeah. Don't do those things. And the Gentiles tend to do those things. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not saying, Hey, since you're not under the law of Moses, you can do anything you want to do. No, under the law of Christ, there's still holiness and obedience and things to be abstained from. All right. So there we see them in action. Now, there is a book in the New Testament, an epistle, that is written in reaction to these same type of individuals, conceivably, maybe even the same individuals, but the same type of individuals who went through a place where Paul had worked and planted Gentile churches.
3: Galatians.
2: Yeah. And so Galatians is a letter written after the fact where this, these type of individuals had gone through and done their damage. So let's go over and look at the book of Galatians. And this is a particularly helpful one because the question submitted especially had to do with following Jewish feasts. And that's going to come up in the book of Galatians. So Galatians chapter one, we're going to just very quickly scan a few things here. Um, And let's just mention this maybe. Um, The Judaizers, when they got to town, imagine we're Judaizers, okay? The the five of us are Judaizers. We get to town, we find a Gentile church that Paul has established, and you got a bunch of bacon-eating, Sabbath-working, uncircumcised, Gentiles thinking that they have our Messiah. Uh, so we're, we're going to go in there and we're going to straighten them out. Uh, there's three basic strategies we're going to use. What are we going to, what are, what, are, what are our talking points going to be?
3: Run that question by us one more
2: time. We are the Judaizers. We've gotten to town, and oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So Paul's not there anymore. Yeah, we've got to go in and undo
3: what he did and get these people to learn. It's necessary for you to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Number, number one, number one. Paul doesn't have all that much credibility. He wasn't one of the original apostles. He's yeah. not really. He's not really an apostle. Right, right.
2: He's subject to Jerusalem. He's, 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 he's two faced. He's. Whatever they need to do, they've got to discredit Paul. Yeah. All right? So they're going to do that, and that's what chapter 1 is about, Paul responding to that. What else do we have to do if we're the Judaizers?
3: Well, um... Yeah. Don't listen to Paul. Yeah, but listen to the law.
2: Ah, yeah. So obviously they're going to point to the law and show passages where it says, on oh, they they be circumcised. Yeah. And so they're going to go to the law. And that's in part why in chapter 3, Paul is going to... Go to the law. Now, there's one other thing they're going to do. When you go in and try to tell people you don't need to listen to
1: him, they got to puff them themselves about. up. They got to flaunt their own credentials. Like, hey, yeah. we're from Jerusalem. We're from, you know, and yeah. try to get them to trust in them.
2: Yeah. So that's really their threefold argument. Don't listen to Paul, not a real apostle. Listen to us. We're from Jerusalem. We know the real apostles. Number three, Look what the old Hebrew scriptures say. That's going to be the argument. Paul responds to all three of those in this book. Uh, Starts off in verse 1. I don't know of another epistle where he gets into his subject as quickly.
0: uh, Scott, Scott. And what's interesting here, it just hit me, they don't have this letter. (laughs) They don't have any New Testament letters. Well, maybe they might. We don't know which ones. But all they have is the oral transmission from from uh, Paul, and so they're coming in now with what they do have is written, as you said, is the scriptures of old, right?
2: Oh, you mean the Judaizers?
0: Yeah, the We don't have the yeah, written yeah. letter of Galatians yet to say we can't look it up. Say, well, what did Paul say? What did Paul say? We're going by just what remembering right, Paul. Right.
2: Said. But I mean, Paul had spent time there in in sacrifice and been persecuted, and they know what Paul taught them. And that's why these fellows are going to have to undermine Paul. Because Paul would have taught them, hey, you believe in Christ, you're baptized into Christ, and you're saved. They know there's a difference between what Paul said and what the Judaizers, yeah. the Judaizers and, and, are making that clear as well.
1: Right. And that's why Paul says in chapter one if anyone brings you another gospel than the one we preached to you, let him be accursed.
2: Yeah. So Galatians 1 starts off Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. Verse six, I can't believe, I marvel that what? It turned into another gospel. Yeah, but it's not a different gospel, Mm -hmm. only there are some that trouble you. That's the same phrase from Acts chapter 15. These Judaizers went out and troubled people and are perverting the gospel of Christ. And then he says, but though we are an angel from heaven, Paul will use angels sometimes for hyperbole, and he does it here. And I think it's in response to these guys who said, "Hey, we're from Judea, we're from Jerusalem, we're we He says, "I don't care where they were from. You know, I don't care if they were angels straight out of heaven. If they're teaching a different gospel, you don't listen to it." And then he goes through and he he answers some of their attacks uh, and refutes their attacks against him. Uh, when you get to chapter three. Uh, He's one well, at the end of two, he's talking about we're justified in Christ, faith in Christ. Chapter three, he's going to go back to the law and he's going to predate the law of Moses and go back to a promise to Abraham yeah. made before circumcision in the law. And that the gospel was going to go to that the, the uh, blessings of Abraham would go to all people in right. all nations. So summing up chapter three, let's go to verse 23 and, and let's work our way down through 23, 29, All right? And so as, our, as we read a verse and we'll comment it. So verse 23, before faith came, we were kept in ward under the law, shut up under the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. So that the law has become our tutor, King James schoolmaster, to bring us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith, but now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. Comments discussion.
1: So the idea here is that if you had a child, you know they would have a guardian or a tutor that would teach them until they came of age, and when they came of age, they didn't need that anymore. And the idea is, you Gentile Christians, the law helped the Jews kind of come to Christ. And now you, you've got the real thing. Don't, don't go back to a schoolmaster. Don't go backwards to what you had in elementary school is kind of the idea yeah. is that you've come of age. Um, and, and the whole point of the law was to point us to Christ. That is a shadow and you've got the real thing. You've got the fulfillment.
2: So the person who's in graduate work, go back to their first grade class, squeeze into one of those seats and ask the, their first grade teacher what their assignment
0: is. That's absurd. <laughs> yeah.
2: Does that mean that that first grade teacher wasn't
0: important? Well, at the time it was. Right. But then
2: there comes a time when you what? You
3: grow up. Yeah. And there's also this idea, the, the, the word here for tutor or schoolmaster has especially... Uh, especially as reference to uh, a slave in the Roman world who would be responsible for escorting the children to their teacher. And so it's not, it's not, it's not, I think, uh, an accident that Paul is using a word here that would call to mind the, the position of a slave. The law was like that. And what he's trying to do is to talk about the difference between being in slavery under the law and being free under Christ. And so here you are, uh, and, and there are passages in ancient Greek where this irony is pointed out, where you have these children who are freeborn children and, and they're going to grow up and they're going to be free men, but, and, and their family has a household slave. And in essence, this slave is a slave of these children. And yet these children are under the direction of this slave. They're under his control until they grow up and become mature. And Paul is using that analogy to say, you know, when we were under the law, we were like under slavery. And uh, even though we're God's people, but then we become free and we're no longer under the direction of that slave. And so that's the kind of the, the light in which he puts the Old Testament law.
2: Yeah. And um, if somebody wants to look further after the program, if you read the first verses of chapter four, you're going to see that idea that the free child and the slave, they're both in bondage. Neither of them are totally free at that time. They're both kind of treated the same, but then later a time comes you move on. But back up to at the end of chapter three. So we've got this. So now that faith has come, we're no longer under the tutor um it, it, it's sometimes people said um well let me let me just put it this way uh jesus said i didn't come to abolish the law
3: but to fulfill uh, it, to
2: fulfill it. Yeah. uh and let me let me just suggest an illustration it might not answer everything but it might be helpful um you see a caterpillar he's crawling along he's kind of cute kind of fat and fuzzy um and then he goes into a cocoon and out comes a what? Butterfly. Butterfly. What happened to the caterpillar? Did he the was butterfly? destroyed. No, Boy. he wasn't
3: destroyed.
2: Yeah. <laughs> the butterfly is the fulfillment of the caterpillar. Yeah,
3: right.
2: Was the caterpillar stage important?
3: Yes, yeah. it was. But the cocoon yeah. wasn't there to destroy the caterpillar. The cocoon right. was there to bring right. it to its fulfillment in the realization of a beautiful butterfly.
2: But what butterfly should want to clip its wings and grow fuzz and get fat again and crawl around like, <laughs> yeah, and it's, that's going backwards. And, and that's what they have done. So after saying, let's get back to verse 26 of 3, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. There can be neither Jew nor Greek. There can be neither bond nor free. There can be neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are priests, Christ's. what are
0: you? Abraham's offspring.
2: Yeah, yeah. So the original promises of Abraham, which predate the law of Moses, and that's discussed a few verses earlier, like back in 17. Paul, they had gone to uh, the Hebrew Scriptures say, look, look here. And Paul backs up. And goes back to something earlier and uh, talks about Abraham's justification of faith in the blessing to all nations. And he's basically saying here in chapter three, you guys were already where you needed to be.
3: Okay, so Scott, so okay, I say I get your point. Um, okay, the law was a tutor. We're not under the law anymore. And yet, Paul himself will refer to the, one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. And he'll clearly make it. Uh, known that that's something that's applicable today. There are a lot of things under the law, a lot of things in the Old Testament that are still true today. Yeah. So somebody's going to want to know, how do we know which of those things are still true today? And one category of things in particular that people tend to point to in the Old Testament are all those things where it said they're, they are forever And when God said something is forever in the Old Testament, shouldn't we think that even though we're not under the law, the things that were forever, we're still under
0: obligation to keep those? Such as circumstances, right? So so that's
3: a good point. In fact, if I could, could I just take a second to give each of you guys a passage to look up to find something that was said to be forever in the Old Testament? Um, could one of you take Exodus twenty-nine, verse nine? Again? I got that, right? Could one of you take Genesis chapter seventeen and verse thirteen? I got it. And could one of you take Exodus twenty-nine and verse forty-two? Yeah, well, we'll just we'll take those three. What was the first one again? I got uh,
0: that. I got that one. It's Exodus uh, twenty-nine, nine.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, let's take Exodus twenty nine first of all. Uh, sh- what what was said to be forever there?
0: And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them, and the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons.
3: So that Aaronic priesthood was said to be forever, and then... In, uh, in Exodus chapter twenty nine forty two, you kind of have to back up in the context about three verses, and you see what he's talking about as he comes down through there. What does it say? Uh,
2: in verse 42, it shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent before the Lord, where I will meet
3: you to speak to you there. And doesn't it say it's
1: a forever... So throughout your generations is the okay. phrase used there in 42.
3: Okay, let me check my Bible. Oh yeah, yeah. Throughout your
2: generations. Yeah.
3: Yeah, but I was thinking we had actually um in verse forty but it shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations. Yeah. It, well I, I was thinking the word was forever there. Maybe it's not, but the idea of throughout your generations. All right. Um, and then Genesis chapter 17, verse 13.
1: Genesis seventeen 13 um, says both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant.
3: Yeah. And now I think, as I'm looking back at my notes here, I'm, I think that word in Genesis in Exodus 29, 42, a continual burnt offering is, is where we would see it in the original language that, that, Forever word. I'll go back and check that in just a second. But but we look at these things, and is the Aaronic priesthood something we're to have today? Is, Hebrews
2: quite makes it clear
3: that that's not the case. Is circumcision? We just looked at Galatians in Acts fifteen specifically. Circumcision wasn't, and yet in a sense there was a there is a sense in which these things continue, not in the outward form. What, what do we know about circumcision in the Old Testament? Was it just an arbitrary thing God had to to signify who was a Jew, or was there a spiritual lesson there?
1: There's a spiritual lesson there. He talked in different passages in like Deuteronomy and Jeremiah about circumcising your hearts and the idea of getting rid of sin, uh, getting rid of the, the fleshly things, mm-hmm. so that you can serve God purely from pure heart.
3: Mm-hmm. And, and Romans 2 talks about those who are circumcised inwardly. Yep. And so, so you have this idea uh, in the Old Testament, there's a concept. And that concept is represented by the physical act of circumcision. But the physical act of circumcision <coughs> itself isn't the thing that's going to last forever. It's the underlying principle that's going to last forever. And then when we look at um, in uh, Exodus chapter 29 and verse 9 in the Aaronic priesthood, the concept of a priest, of an intercessor, that's forever. The outward embodiment of that in the Aaronic priest is not. And similarly with the, the daily offerings in, in, um, in uh, Exodus chapter 29, which I need to go back and, and check, and I'll do that in a second. But here's the question. Should we think of Sabbath that way? Is there something, a spiritual concept associated with the Sabbath that is forever, that was represented temporarily in the outward observance of a seventh day.
0: Uh, represented as a shadow, right? I mean, these, these things are shadows, because I think that was a word that you quoted from Paul, wasn't it?
3: As a matter of fact, we yeah. see that word in Colossians chapter 2, where Paul talks about the Sabbath day, and he also talks about some of the other feast days, and he says yeah. they're a shadow of things to come, but the body, the reality— is Christ. So I'll turn over and and read that real quickly. In chapter 2 of Colossians, in verse 16, let no man therefore judge you in meat or or drink or in respect of a feast day or a new moon or a Sabbath day, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the body is Christ's, the reality is in Christ. So, So my question to you guys is, what is there about the Sabbath day that would have a forever kind of connotation, a forever idea about it? A, a spiritual reality that's forever.
0: Well, Sabbath rest. means rest,
1: right? Yeah. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9, it says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That uh, there, there is still this rest that we're anticipating, and it's not getting the seventh day off of work. Um, it, it is the anticipation of the rest that comes in Christ, and ultimately the final rest we have after this life.
3: So I think it's helpful when we, when we look at these things in the Old Testament to see that the Old Testament in general f- focused on outward means of teaching a lot of concepts, but we shouldn't go back to those outward means that have been declared to be merely right. shadows. The Sabbath day and the feast days were specifically said to be Shabbos, uh, outward sh- things foreshadowing something that would come in Christ.
1: That's yes.
3: right. And so going back correct. to the – go ahead, Scott.
1: <laughs> go ahead. Going back to the book of Galatians for a minute, uh, I don't know if this is where you're going, Scott. uh, Looking at chapter four, when these Gentile Christians who had the, the other Jewish Christians from Judea come in and say, hey, you can't be saved unless you're circumcised and keep the law. When they, apparently some of them started to give in to that pressure and started to go back and they started to keep the feast days and they started to Perhaps some of them were circumcised, and he's going to tell them what he thinks about that. In Galatians chapter 4, in verse, uh, we'll start in verse 9, uh, he says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years i am afraid i may have labored over you in vain so paul is not neutral about this like well, well if you want to keep the feast days and circumcise your kids up, no big no no he says you're going backwards what are you doing i'm afraid for you and so paul is very clear that if you're starting to go backwards to the shadow that is not progress and he has a lot of concern for these christians because they're starting to go back to these things from the old law.
2: Yeah. It, it's kind of, again, to the idea of, of children growing up. That There's a place for, you know, first grade. There's a place for diapers. There's a place for pacifiers. You know, uh, it's not on adults. <laughs> and, and and now Jews, Jews were continuing, uh, <clears throat> that was part of their culture. They were continuing to do what they as Jews were doing. For instance, the Passover is a celebration of their ancestors being brought out of Egypt. I'm not a Jew. My ancestors were not brought out of Egypt. The the Feast of Booths was remembering when their ancestors, you know, were in the booths. That, That wasn't my ancestors out there in the wilderness. And so Christians don't have any obligation to go back to that. And when they did, Paul said, like Stephen pointed out, you're going backwards. And he said, Why do you want to be in bondage over again? You observe days, months, seasons, years, the parts of the Jewish calendar. I'm afraid of you, lest by any means I have to labor upon you in vain. He's not complimenting them. He's worried about their salvation, and we'll see that especially brought out in chapter 5. Steve?
1: Now, let me just say, in chapter 5, one of the things that's tough about this is if we start to say, well... We should do some of the things in the Old Testament were fulfilled, but some of the things are forever. Mm -hmm. Well, how do we tell which things? Because in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 3, we're starting in verse 2. He talks first about circumcision. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law this whole system stands or falls together. And so if we're trying to kind of quote unquote import parts of it and then, Oh, well, that other part we don't have to No, He says it kind of, it's a package deal. Uh, if you bring in one part, you got to bring in the whole thing. And so what we need to do is see that it's all a shadow. So Stephen, if
0: I'm in the part on the Sabbath, because I think that that should be when we worship God on the Sabbath, Saturday, you're saying well that's what you're saying the scripture saying is then i have to bring in the whole law
1: right and you know we've talked in past episodes about using outward instruments of praise and that i think falls into somewhat the same category in that that's an old testament thing that's not to be brought in
2: let's mention a few other things uh the sacrificing of a goat or or an or a, a sheep or or another animal was that part of the law of moses the prohibition against uh, shellfish or fish without scales or, or pork was that part of the law of Moses. The prohibition of wearing a garment made out of two types of fabric was that part of the old covenant. And if you're going to go back and say you have to be circumcised, why don't you have to come back and do all these other things as well? Uh, it says, but you're separate from Christ because you're trying to be justified by this. Again, he's told in chapter three, you were already where you needed to be. When you were baptized into Christ, you were in the Messiah. You were already seed the heirs of Abraham in the blessings of the promise made to him long before the law of Moses came along. The law of Moses was the tutor to bring us to faith in the Messiah. But now that the Messiah has come and the faith in him has come, you don't need to go back and do this. And if you do, you're, you're severed from Christ. And so again, on the feast days, he says, I hear that you're even observing the days and months and seasons, years like uh, the new moons, the the Sabbath, et cetera. He said, I'm afraid I've wasted my time on you. And he calls them for repentance. So whenever people think I'm going to be a more, a Gentile, when a Gentile thinks I'm going to be a more spiritual Christian by going back to the feast of the
0: old Testament, He's
2: flying exactly in the face against what the Apostle Paul taught.
0: Excellent. Jeff, did you want to Yes, uh,
3: Yeah, ask- I just wanted to get a correction in. That passage in Exodus chapter 29 and verse 42 about the daily administration of those sacrifices, that is not the word, the forever word there where it's translated continually. The Hebrew word is olam, and it occurs in where we were talking about circumcision and it occurs where we were talking about the Aaronic priesthood. It also is used in Leviticus 16 and verse 29 of the day of atonement. That was forever. Um, which of, of course, again is fulfilling Christ. Christ is the atonement. So we don't go back and keep the shadow, but that word is not used in Exodus chapter 29 and verse 42. Just wanted to make that clear.
0: Uh, we're coming to the end of the program time wise, but there is a comment that just came in from Facebook. You want to address that one there, Jeff?
1: Yeah, well, let's do a look at that real quick. It says, there's a question concerning Colossians 2.16. If no one is to be a judge concerning feast days, etc., the Jewish days could not be imposed as an obligation, but could a Christian continue holding on to feast days, not out of obligation, but out of tradition and personal celebration of God's work? It seems that the, quote, let no one pass judgment works both ways.
2: I would say it... Uh, one distinction would be significant. Uh, is is this person a Jew who has become a Christian or is this person a Gentile? Paul is a Jew in the first century. And while the temple was still standing, what are some Jewish things that Paul
1: continued doing?
0: He's going to the feasts.
2: Yeah. He says, I, I want to get to Jerusalem in time for the feast.
1: Yeah. Next 21, uh, when, he paid for the guy's sacrifices.
2: Yeah. He, he pays for the guy's sacrifices, but when gypsy, he's a Jew dealing with Jews, but when Gentiles start thinking that's part of the gospel, he says what? No, don't do that. I'm afraid I wasted my time
3: on you. Circumcision. Well, the, Go ahead, the, John. Just going to, real quickly, and there's another practical point to be made so that not even Jews can observe many of these things today. God, at the time Colossians is written, the temple still stands, yeah. and it was possible to yeah. observe the feast days and such,
2: you still had some Levitical priests in in, in the Passover
3: celebration. But but when those to the extent those things required going to Jerusalem and, and the temple and all of that, once the temple's destroyed, God brought a de facto practical end to all yeah. of that. So not even Jews can keep those things today.
1: Yes, yeah. right. And there's one more note on that phrase: "Let no one pass judgment." Uh, notice how parallel it is to verse 18 uh, In verse 16: "Let no one pass judgment." On you about these things. And verse 18, let no one disqualify you insisting on these other things. And so there's some other false teachings that were going on, and Colossians kind of addresses both of them. But going to the context right before that, in Colossians 2 and verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The context here is not like a, well, keep doing old law stuff if you want to, and don't let people judge you about that. No, it's the opposite. He's saying the the people doing the judging are the people insisting on Gentiles practicing Jewish things. That's what this passage is talking about.
0: Yeah, but the question I'm wondering if the question that came in, he's saying not to be judging concerning feast days, the Jewish days could not be imposed as an obligation. Is the question coming in from the person in the audience about a Christian continuing holding something other than Jewish feast days? No, I
2: think they're talking about the Jew as I read the question, I think they're talking about Jewish feast days, saying that's right. What if a Christian wants to say, Hey, out of tradition and culture, I want to go back? and observe these feast days. And again, you pay attention to what Paul said. When Christians started doing that, Paul was alarmed and warned them against it. Yeah. Uh, it, it let's maybe close with this if we can get it in time here. Um, oh, we're already past time. You go right ahead. Right, five, five minutes over. past. Paul is a Jew. Paul is a Christian. Some things Paul does as a Jew. Some things Paul does as a Christian. What does he expect Gentiles to to do who become Christians, to be Christians. He doesn't expect them to be Jews. And one of the easiest ways to see it is his treatment of Timothy and Titus. Timothy was a Jew who had not done what? He hadn't been circumcised, so Paul had him circumcised. Yeah, in fact, Paul circumcised him, Acts chapter 16, and because he wants him to be respected among the Jews that he's gonna be able to be working with. However, in Galatians 2, what does he do about Titus? He
3: won't. He won't allow him to be circumcised.
2: Not for a. Not for an hour would he entertain the idea. He doesn't say, "Well, you know, Titus, if you want to kind of get in on this Jewish." Titus, he, he's saying, you know, no. Titus does not need to be circumcised.
0: And that's because he was a Gentile.
2: Yeah, he's not a Jew. Uh, so. If, if if I were to baptize a Jew and he said, you know, I just don't want to start eating bacon, I'm going to say, fine, more bacon for me. Uh, but, you know, I'm not going to impose that on him. But for for Gentile Christians to make the mistake of thinking this is spiritual superiority and part of what, you know, uh, uh, a spirituality they need to turn to to go back to the old law, just read again those first few verses of Galatians 4. Why are you going back? You're observing these feasts, these I'm afraid.
0: Very good. Gentlemen, good, good discussion. And I hope that we generated some more thoughts and comments from our audience. We want you to go to BibleQuest.tv to fill out the form there with any other thoughts, questions, or follow-up on this topic or on any topic. Give us your input, and we'll bring that uh, in our next program, and we'll discuss these things in our quest to discover biblical truth. Anything else, gentlemen, before we go?
1: Thanks, guys.
0: Thanks.